Amen. If you love Jesus, can I get a hallelujah? Woo! Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 10 verse, or Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you're here. We're so happy that you came here today. Uh, the air conditioning will be getting fixed this week, Lord willing, but thankfully it's not as hot as it was last week. How many are happy for that? Amen. If you can't tell the difference, you were not here last week. Because if you were here last week, you could certainly tell the difference. It's much cooler. But uh, this air conditioning unit is broken. It's getting replaced. How much do you think an air conditioning unit, we have three in our building, four if you count the corner store because it's the same landlord. But how much do you think an air conditioning unit just from that wall to that wall costs? How much? Well, you've already been in a meeting, so I haven't, don't you know? Oh, you're just guessing. Oh, it's $6,500. Thank you for saying that. I thought you were in a meeting. I was like, ah, you're cheating. By the way, you had a very good word. That was awesome. Our landlord is paying for it, of course, but uh, $6,500 is a lot of money. That's why we give to our church, so that we can spend the money that we need. Does anybody get free air conditioning in, in your city, like uh, in, in your home, in your school? Uh, does anybody get, if your air conditioning was to break at your house, would it be for free? No, these things cost money. These lights, do you get free lights at your house? You know, maybe you're a child, but do you get free food? Anybody get free food? When we give out all of that food during the, the outreaches and we do all the things that we do, where does that money come from? Point to where that money comes from. Please don't point to me because I don't have it. Come on, where does it come from? It comes from each one of us as we do our part. As we do our part. also want to thank you for allowing us to transition how we transition. We are doing new speakers up here during transition time. How many thought Steve did a great job for this service? Amen. My wife has now reached uh, within the last 30 days of her pregnancy, and she's just huffing and a puffing and needs all that space to hang out and relax. And so we're letting these others do it. And if they do a good job, we might let them keep that job because <laughs> I think it's a great uh, opportunity for people to hear from other members of our church and leaders. Also, I want to thank you for last week. I thought last week was a tough message, but you guys took it. If you can take it, you can make it. How many enjoyed it last week? Amen. We learned about slavery, and not just in our culture, but in all cultures of the world. We had to talk about how uh, it's been done in the world and what God has to say about that, and then we applied it to our jobs. Now, today we're going to talk about the full armor of God's spiritual warfare. So go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It's your first time with us. We're going through the book of Ephesians. Here's the entire book of Ephesians broken down in a way that may be helpful for you if you haven't been around for a while or if you're new. We started in verse 1 of chapter 1. Now we're at the end of chapter 6. We're here at number 3 right now, Instructions on Spiritual Warfare. We started this in 2017. So it's been over a year, almost two years actually. And I want to remind you of all of this because what we're going to learn today is very important to everything that you learn. So keep in mind that chart as we get to read our scripture. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, let's read the verse together, verses 10 and 11 together. One, two, three. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you might take your stand against the devil's schemes. Sorry, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What is this word right here? What is it? Come on, somebody say that word. Finally. 
Finally. Now, if you've been in the sermon series for a while, you're probably ready to see it close up. This is literally how Paul wrote his letter. He's like, finally, these are my last things to share. Now, if you're going to hear what he shares right now, don't you think you've got to understand all the things he's been talking about? Because look at what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How can you be strong in the Lord according to Paul? Well, that's where you got to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. How did the Bible say that we're strong in the Lord? We're strong in the Lord because we're born again. Now we're in Christ. We're strong in the Lord because Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. How many remember Ephesians chapter 2? You're saved by grace through faith. See, that's what you're strong in. If you're thinking you're going to fight a spiritual battle and be strong in the Lord, and all that is is a verbal confession, but not a belief or a true knowledge, you will get whooped by the devil every single time. When Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, he's talking about you being strong in spiritual blessings. He's talking about you being strong in your prayer life, being strong in the grace of God, being strong to know who you are, that you are now engrafted into the Jewish people, strong in the love of God. Somebody say the love of God. Thank you. Strong in your creed and your belief. Does anybody remember the creed? For there is what? One God. Come on, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. You can see it right now. Look at the creed that we were given. If you weren't here, this is a beautiful creed, and I hope that everybody will get it together with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Look at it. Paul says all of these things be, you know, walk worthy of your calling. Be completely humble. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. For there is one body one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Everybody say one God. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Well, let me ask you something. Can you be strong in the Lord if you believe in many gods? Can you be strong in the Lord if you don't know the commands of God? No, because guess what? When I'm strong in the Lord, that means I'm obedient. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, the things that we've already gone through. Because some of you are saying the devil's messing with me. No, and you're messing with yourself. You're your own worst enemy. Listen, before you say you're in a spiritual battle, I'm asking you a question. Do you know how to control your tongue? I'm going to help you guys to get this today. Everybody raise up their hand with me right now. Okay, now you may think this is crazy, but we're going to give it a shot. Now follow me, everybody follow me. Get sassy and say, devil, I dare you to lower my hand. Okay, let's see if he can do it. Now some of you think we're praying to the devil. We're We're just talking to him. We're talking to him. Now is your hand still up? He didn't make you lower it, did he? Now instead of mocking God, we're actually going to pray to God. God, I pray you lower my hand. God, come from heaven, take an angel, lower my hand. No, my hand's still raised. Now you put your hand down when you want. See, you decided that. The spiritual principle from the very beginning is God can't make you go to heaven and the devil can't make you go to hell. You have a free will. Now somebody can force you to do something and put you in change and so forth, but they can't force you in your heart to do it. It's like the child who was asked to clean their room and the child didn't want to clean their room. And then they were asked again to clean their room. And then they were said, that told that if you didn't clean your room, you're going to go and be in that room the rest of the day. And so the child goes and cleans the room, but then they looked at the mother and said, but in my heart it's still messy. 
Are you listening? You could have somebody force you to go to church, but in your heart you don't want to be here. Somebody could force you to try to sin and put a cigarette in my mouth, but I wouldn't want it. What I'm trying to say is you can't be forced to do good and you can't be forced to do evil. Now, what's my point in saying this? The Bible says be strong in the Lord. You can't be strong in God unless you're willing to keep his commands. What are some of those commands? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We've already been there. Look at some of these things right here that we were commanded to do. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Who controls your mouth? The devil? Does Jesus control your mouth? You control your mouth. So guess what? You make the decision to either have blessings or curses come out of your mouth. Hold up, hold up. But pastor, I'm in a battle with the devil. No, no, you, you ain't even ready to battle the devil if you haven't battled your own tongue. See, the Bible says it like this. You're your own worst enemy until you get born again. So until you're born again, you are the reason you're going to hell. Does everybody get that? I need some yeses or nos today. This is a teaching lesson. You are your own worst enemy until you're born again. Now when you're born again, can you be tempted by the devil? Yes, the devil can put a thought in your head, cuss that person out. But once again, now it's your choice to either give in to temptation or be led of the Spirit. Listen to both of these biblical terms, temptation and led. The devil tempts, God leads. Do either one of those force you to do it? The devil's temptation doesn't force you to do evil, and God's leading does not force you to do good. See, these are the things we were already taught. That's why he says, finally, look at verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Whose choice is it to keep bitterness? The devil's choice? God's choice? No, your choice. It's your choice to whether you're bitter or, or you're better. Now, rage, does the devil make you angry? Now, he can do things to anger you, but can he make you angry? No. Can he make you fight? Can he make you slander? Now, go to verse 32. I need some yeses or noes. Can God make you be kind? Can he literally go, shake it up, change yourself, and be kind? No. Can he make you forgive? Look at it. Can he make you forgive? No, he can't. You have your own choice. Why is that so important? Because go back to the scripture we're learning today about spiritual warfare. I think too many of us give the devil way too much credit. Because we don't understand verse 10, we don't understand verse 11. We don't understand what it means to be strong in the Lord. Because check it out. Am I sending a child to battle? Do I want to send right now toddlers to fight ISIS? Come on, think about it. No, because they're not strong enough, are they? Are you ready to face the devil if you're not strong in the Lord? No, so that's why people get defeated. Everybody watch. Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody woke up this morning, because this whole church should be filled every single service without fail, all the way to the back, waiting in line. There's about 300, 400 people that consider this their church, but only about 200, 250 show up every week. Are you listening? There were people who woke up this morning, saw a flat tire, blamed it on the devil, went back inside. That ain't the devil's fault. That's your irresponsibility. The devil didn't even have to show up to fight you. All, all he had to do was let you be your worst enemy. But I thank God Jesus saved me from myself. So now if some of you got, like as some of you got up, you might have saw a flat tire. And then when the devil said, stay home, you then said, I ain't staying home, Jack. I'm going to pump it up. I'm going to go to church. It's like I would go to work. I wouldn't stay home and go to, uh, be at home because I had a flat tire. My boss would look at me like I was an idiot. I'm staying home today, boss. I got a flat tire. What? You don't know how to fix a tire, Jack? You're fired. 
Come on. Well, it's raining today. I don't want to go to church. It's raining. Do that with your boss. Do that with your boss. Come on. All those construction workers, all these men and women working outdoors. I ain't going to church. It's too hot. You going to tell your job tomorrow I'm not going to church? Six Flags was open. Come on. Those jobs you work are open. But you see, the devil, a lot of us, doesn't even have to show up. The devil, let's think about this. For a lot of people who call themselves Christians, the devil does not even have to show up because they're not even worth the fight. They ain't strong. They're weak. So you're putting a lot on the devil. Like, let me give you another illustration. You may say, well, the devil's working on my nerves. The devil's working on my No, he's not. You just lack patience. You lack patience. That's why you're upset in traffic. That's why you're upset with your coworker. It has nothing to do with the devil. There is no demon following you around trying to make you lose your patience. You just don't have patience. He don't even, the, listen, the devil don't even got to show up and fight you. He's going to go 10 more at my house and leave you alone because you don't even have the patience. Who is the devil really going to fight? The one who has something he wants. If it, come on, somebody. I know, I know you all get it, but I'm just, I'm telling you, as Christians, I hear people complaining all the time about what the devil's doing to you. And I'm like, no, man, you're doing that to yourself. You're doing that to yourself. Well, I, you know, my boyfriend cheated on me, and I know the devil's using this to discourage me. Why do you even have a boyfriend that would cheat on you? It never listened to me. I'm not saying you can't prevent bad. I'm not saying every bad thing happens to a bad person. Bad things do happen to good people. But I'm trying to help you learn a pattern of your life. Why you broke, busted, and disgusted. Listen to me. I dated my wife before we got married almost a year. Been married now almost like 12, 13 years. Man, I have never been tempted to cheat on her. The reason why you're feeling you're in a spiritual battle, I'm in a spiritual battle, good versus evil. Oh, it's so hard. It's because you're your own worst enemy. The devil, I'm going to say this again because some of y'all don't get, the devil don't even have to fight some of you. He already has you. And the reason why your life is messed up is because you're not under the blessing of God. Now, those of us who are ready to do spiritual warfare, can I hear an Amen. Those of us who got the finally, I know some of you are new to the church because this is a great church, always having visitors and joining the church. People are always coming. Go back and listen to those messages so you can understand the finally. He's talking to people here that want to go to battle and be strong in the Lord. Now look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Is the devil going to try to attack us as Christians? Yes, he is. So what are we supposed to have on? The full armor of God. So as I begin to read what the full armor of God is, understand never, never compromise one of these things. Not one of them is optional. How many would like to drive today with one of their doors missing off their cars? How many want to drive today with one of their tires missing? Come on. These are not optional. Imagine riding your bike. If you were to get hit by a car in a bike, you think it would hurt? You probably wouldn't even survive. Most of the time people get killed. But if you were in a car and got hit by a car, do you think you'd survive it? You probably could, depending on the speed, right? You see, don't make yourself an easy prey of the devil. Have yourself be under the protection of God. When the devil sees that you have these weaknesses that you're not being strong in, he's automatically going to come right to that. If the devil sees that you're dealing with sexual immorality, what do you think he's going to tempt you with? A hamburger? Everybody look up at me. If the devil watches you look at internet pornography, what do you think he's going to tempt you with today? You think he's going to tempt you to buy a new pair of shoes? He's going to tempt you with a relationship, something to turn, turn you on. 
If you're struggling today with greed, what do you think God's gonna, uh, the devil's going to tempt you with? You think the devil's going to tempt you with sexuality if that's not your thing? He's going to tempt you with greed. He's going to tempt you with a job that will keep you busy on Sundays. Have you uh, get a mortgage that you can barely afford if you don't give your tithes? See, now, look, 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 if I just don't give my tithes that extra three to four hundred a month, I can afford this new house. It must be God. When we come to fight the devil, we must come with all the armor on. And we're not strong in ourselves. We're strong in the Lord. So everybody get this today. If you're losing at life, you're losing your spiritual battle. Is it your fault or God's fault? It's your fault. And listen, everybody get this. If I lose my spiritual battles, is it God's fault? No, because I'm not supposed to be strong in myself. I'm supposed to be strong in the Lord. How much power do you think God has over the devil? Let's just say, let's say 100% of power is in the world right now. How much do you think God has? Okay, so you think God has what, 51% power? And the devil's got 49, and they're arm wrestling back and forth like that one lame meme shows. Jesus and the devil... And if Jesus messes up one little bit, the devil's going to get him in the last round. No, my friends. Jesus said, look at your Bible and say, Jesus said. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Look at how much authority and power belongs to Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Look at it. Uh, Verse 18, right? Let's look at verse 18. Let's read it together. One, two, three. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does Jesus have? all authority. So if you and I are losing our battles, is it God's fault? No, because he's got all the power we need. Go to 2 Peter. Open up your Bibles. I ain't going to read it. I ain't going to put it up on a screen because y'all getting a little lazy. It's a little too warm in this place. You guys getting a little too comfortable. You're like going to sleep on me right now. Open up your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 7. First one to come up here and read it, I'll give you what I got in my wallet right now. First one. First one. Come on, give it up for this man right here. Joby, you second. He got up first. Give it up for this brother. Come on. Amen, my brother. I got a secret stash, but I'm going to give you this one right here. I know you don't need it, but it's going to bless you. It says, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Amen. That was my wrong. Go read it. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Come on. Amen. Now read verse 3. Read verse 3, please. I love that verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. There's some double for your trouble. Let's give it up for my brother. Come on. I gave you my secret stash. Amen. Take the family out for some ice cream. There you go. Look at that. His divine power has given us what? Everything. Come on. He's given us what? Everything. And so now we escape the world. We escape the world. So that means there is not one power that God doesn't have authority over, and there's not one power that can stop me from living for Jesus. Look at it again. He's given me everything I need for a godly life. So right now, if you find yourself in a battle, 
against sin and you think you're losing, I mean, you know you're losing, I should say, and you think that's normal, there is a problem in how you're doing it. You're doing it wrong. So if God has all the power and now he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, how many battles should we win spiritually? How many should we lose? Okay, look at your life. Check your record. Are you like the Cubs right now? Cubs are about what, 50-50? They losing about as much as they're winning, maybe just a little bit more wins? My friends, we should be winners. What does the Bible call us? More than what? Conquerors. Now, have I lost some battles? Yes, but there was never a reason, a good reason for me to have lost that battle. As a matter of fact, every battle that I've lost, God's been able to teach me a lesson out of that loss. Don't do it like this, do it like this. Don't do it this way, do it that way. There are lessons to be learned in your setbacks because they're setups for God's glory. Amen. That's the next part. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Now let me continue on. Let me put it all in its passage rather. Let me let you hear it in its context. Finally, now you get that right. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Now watch this. For our struggles, not ultimately against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the, in the, of the evil of evil in the heavenly realms. So does, is there a real devil? Yes, and he hates us. There's three categories of evil that comes against us. Rulers, authorities, and powers. I don't have time to get into that. We don't know much about it because the scripture is not clear in it, but we know in the Old Testament when Daniel was praying, he faced the prince of Persia. That was a name of a demonic power that was over that region. One of the angels that had come to rescue David and to give him a word was prevented by that prince. And then it was when the archangel Michael came that allowed the message to come through that angel. So we know there's ranks of angels, like archangels, superior, higher ranking angel. That's what that word means, arch. And we know that there are also higher levels of evil spirits. Now before I said, like I said before, before you get yourself into a spiritual battle and you think it's Star Wars, you need to have the battle of your tongue settled. You need to have the battle of your body settled, submitting it to Christ. You need to have the battle of your mind settled, and now you can go fight the devil. Does everybody see that? Okay, you cannot be adequate to fight the enemy until you fight the enemy within. The enemy without is not as powerful as, or as important as the enemy within. And the enemy within is your will. It's your choice. That's why Jesus said, even as God in the flesh, what did Jesus say? Not my will, but your will be done. And remember when we did the hand raising thing, the number one reason people go to hell is because of their will, their rebellion. You will not go to hell because of homosexuality per se. You will not go there because of these kinds of behaviors. You will go there ultimately because you chose another way. Does everybody get that? And on that way came these other sins. So when you got your life right, you're ready to fight the devil. How many want to fight the devil? Amen. Let's learn about the armor of God. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Now notice that it's twice he said to stand. In verse 14, he says it the third time. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now before I go into these uh, six parts of the armor, before we go into that, understand this. He said stand three times. You know why this is? Come on, get this. You're not fighting for your victory. You're fighting from your victory. You, oh, y'all didn't get that. I got to say it again. 
People think oftentimes I am fighting spiritual warfare to get a victory, to get a medal, to get a prize, to get a promise. But the Bible says it's exactly the opposite. When you came to Christ, everything you already needed was given to you. You were starting at the finish line. When you accepted Jesus, every victory was already won. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So why does it say stand and not go run and go tack and take stuff? Because you're supposed to be standing in your palace. You're sp- oh, come on. How many remembered the ducktails? And then there was that, uh, that one duck, the uncle, that had all the gold. What was his name? Duck McScrooge. And he would just be swimming in all of his gold, all of his rubies. Put up a picture of Duck McScrooge. Let's get a visual of this. You are to stand in all that God has given you. I'm not running after my victory. I got my victory. I'm not running after a promise. I have the promise. I'm not running after a changed life. I've been given a changed life. I'm not even running after God to rule over the nations. He's already said the nations belong to him. Every good work I do is from, not for. Not even one amen in this church. I said not one good work I do is for. It's always from. It's from. From what's the whole entire series? Does anybody know the series that we're in right now in Ephesians? What is it called? In Him. The moment I came in Him, I lacked nothing. The moment I came into Jesus, I had every single thing that I need. Look at the scriptures. Let me just take the mouse for a second, please. I want to show them the scriptures here. Slip it over for me. Go back to Second Peter chapter four, verse one. Look at it. Chapter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. His divine power has given us how many things? Okay, now I want you to get the illustration of this because I know a lot of times we don't get what everything means. I'm going to help you understand everything. Imagine every single thing in your life being on this stage right here. Everything you would need for a godly life. Here's your health, okay? Here's your job. Here's your family. Here's the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's your future. The Bible says, how many things have been given to you? Everything. Is there anything outside of this stage? If everything is here, is there anything outside this stage I need to go out and get? So now you understand, stand. Stand your ground. Stand. Some of you have already lost before you even began because you're chasing something. You're like a dog chasing your tail. I'm going to get my blessing. I, mean, I go fast. I got to go to church. I got to read my Bible. I got to go to life group. I got to marry this person. I got to get this. I got to get this. And God says, whoa! Whoa! Stand your ground. Stand firm in the Lord. Why? Because there you got everything you got. Let's show a picture of what could possibly be like everything you got. That's not him swimming in the gold, man. Come on. Let me look. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it right here. Hold on. I'm going to help you. Look at your neighbor and say, take a, take a break. Look at your neighbor and just say, take a break. Talk to each other about Jesus real quick. I got it, brother. You got to let me get it here. Thank you. Let's go right here. Duck. McScrooge. I want you to see what everything can look like. I don't know why I have this picture of prosperity in my mind of Duck McScrooge, but everybody has that picture of what prosperity looks like. How many believe this is a good picture as it's coming up here? I just hit it. How many believe this kind of a picture is a picture of uh, prosperity? How many believe that? Y'all can see it, right? Okay. Now imagine this is you. Not that sad person over there, okay? This is you diving into the blessings of God. Do you need to leave that place? You got everything. That's you. 
That's the battle you're fighting for. And it starts with you believing, I already got everything I need. If you are right now believing you've got to fight to go get something, you don't understand the cross where Jesus said, it is finished. I know this is hard for us in religion because it's like, if I don't go to the priest, I don't get it. If I don't go to mass, right, a lot of people think that, I don't get it. And I know we understand that there's good works to do in Christianity. Christianity is not a lazy man's religion by any means. But nothing I do is ever for, it's always from. I'm not doing something for him. For, like I'm trying to get him. I'm doing something from being with him. I'm not trying to get something I don't already have. Can I get an amen to them? Come on, somebody. So now get it. Put on the full armor. When that evil day comes, stand your ground. After you've done everything, stand. Verse 14, stand firm then with what? The belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen? And then it says, and pray. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. How many believe you need these things in your life? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Let me just put up this illustration. I don't have a lot of time to go through it, but I want you to get what he's drawing out here. He's having us look at a Roman soldier, just that was, you know, something popular in their day as a soldier. And he's saying, this is what you need to do to win every single battle you're fighting from. Every victory you want to keep, this is what you do. Somebody say, keep the victory. Thank you. There's the difference. I'm not trying to fight for the victory. I'm fighting from the victory. I'm not trying to get the victory. I'm fighting to keep the victory. So what's the first thing he says? Put on the belt of truth. And sadly today, honestly, I forgot to put on a belt. I'm sorry. I do not want to make it awkward or about me right now. But my pants are falling down. And it's weird. And it's awkward. And I don't like that feeling. And what is the first thing? Those of you who have ever watched world star hip-hop fights or seen a fight in the hood, what is the first thing a dude in the hood has to do if he's going to fight? What's he going to do? He's going to, he's going to pull up his pants. What has he just lost? the advantage. He's taken one to the face because while he's trying to pull up his pants, he's taken one. When you go to fight, you better have your pants on. And what the Bible says is that truth is what guards our loins. It's what guards our private areas. And it's what enables everything else to be connected because the connection from the breastplate goes to the waist. And we're learning that truth is that important. And what did Jesus say about truth? Look at it in, um, let me put this out right. Look at John. Everybody go to John chapter 8, verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32. says, you shall know. Let me go up to verse 31. Look at what it says. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Come on, think about this. If you hold to truth, your pants will stay up. If truth holds on to you, in other words, your pants will stay up. Verse 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Now, how many know if somebody pulls down your pants? That's embarrassing. Has anybody ever panted or been panted? 
pull down your pants, right? You feel embarrassed. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to take away your truth and pull down your pants. He wants to expose you. He wants to make you look silly unto the world. He wants to embarrass you. He wants to make you look like you're unintelligent in front of the world. But what must you do? You must keep up your pants with the truth. So you don't let nobody take the truth from you. You make the truth the centerpiece of your armor. What's the next thing the Bible talked about? It's a breastplate of righteousness. What is underneath the breastplate of righteousness is our heart. The most important part, probably that in the brain. And by the way, the heart and the mind are, uh, are, are um, interchanged in the New Testament. So how I'll differentiate it here with Paul, I believe heart has to do with your emotional state of affairs and your mind with your mental state of affairs. But they are very similar in the Bible. And the Bible repeats them, uh, puts them together. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what are we guarding our heart from? Wickedness. What are we guarding it with? Righteousness. How many know 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? Who can quote chapter 5, verse 17 right now? Come on. Say it loud, sir. Come on up here. Let's give it up for uh, uh, Curtis as he comes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Amen. So you all know that, right? So I'm guarding myself with that truth, but keep reading in that passage, verse 21. Look at what Paul goes on to say of chapter 5. Verse 21, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him, you notice that terminology? That's the terminology of Ephesians, that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. So you all probably watch some of these superhero movies. Imagine, did anybody watch the last Avenger movie when they were attacking Wakanda? Does anybody remember that scene? Okay, I'll paint it out for those of you who didn't see it. That's okay, you're more spiritual than us. At the battle scene of Wakanda, there's a force field, and all of the enemy is coming against that force field. As long as they were in the force field, they were doing good. But when that force field went down, that's when all the problems came in. Think of being in Christ as that way. Whenever you are in Christ, you are in the righteousness of God. Wickedness will never be something you desire. The devil can tempt you with it, but it's not something you desire. Let me give you an example. Today, my biggest temptation is perversion to sin against my wife, either in a thought or a deed. Now, thankfully, I've never had a deed of perversion against my wife, but I've had to wrestle with thoughts and confess them. Those are some of the battles that I've lost. But you know what? Let's have Brian Wampler stand up. Brian, go ahead and stand up. Come on, man. Do a little curtsy. Turn around a little bit. See, that doesn't tempt me right there. Now, it doesn't matter how much I have dealt with the battle of, of perversion. The devil does not show me pictures of him in the middle of the night. Doesn't show me a picture of, of Brian. And I know for some that may be a temptation. But for me, that's not a temptation. Why am I saying that? Because the devil knows where to attack you at. But now watch this. When I'm in the righteousness of God, even a naked, beautiful woman won't cause me to stumble. That's why he says he'll never, that's why the Bible says he'll never give you more than you can handle. And some people say, well, I sure got more than I can handle. You're not in the righteousness of God. When you're in the righteousness of God, you can handle it all. I want to say it again to you like this. Some of you struggle with greed, and the devil keeps hitting you on the head with greed. And listen, you're still not happy. And we support missionaries in South Africa, and they're happier than you and have half as what you have, half of what you got. Because why? They're in Christ. 
They're in Christ. And so the righteousness of God guards our heart. What's the next thing that he talked about? He talked about the gospel of peace, the shoes of peace. How many know we're called to be ambassadors for Christ? Amen. Go to Romans chapter 10. When we see the gospel, we understand that the gospel was not sent. Look at me, please, as you're looking at the screen as well. The gospel was not sent by angels. Did anybody here have the gospel preached to them by Gabriel or by one of the other angels? Did they come down and say, hey, Lewis? Or first they came down, hello, I'm an angel. You know, did they come into your room and say, let me preach the gospel? Do you know that most people who say they've met an angel and heard the gospel are false prophets? That's what Muhammad said. I met an angel, told me a message. False prophet. Joseph Smith, I met an angel, told me a message. False, uh, false prophet. Now, can God send angels? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, most of the time when people say they heard a gospel message from an angel, it's a false message. Now, this is excluding those who are seeking God in honesty, like the Muslims. They see visions and dreams and have angelic visitations. I'm not taking away from that, but I think you get my point. This idea that somehow you're not going to listen unless you get a special visitation. Normally the devil says, I got just what you need. You're waiting for that. I'm going to come and deceive you because the Bible says he appears as an angel of light. But now watch this. How is the gospel preached through people? It says this in uh, Romans 10, 15. And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, a lot of y'all make fun of my feet when you see my chonclas on and everything. And I know nobody would want to hang out with these feet right now because they're sweaty in my shoe. But you know what the Bible calls these feet, Gabby? You know what the Bible calls these feet? Beautiful. The Bible calls our feet beautiful. Look at your neighbor and say, you got beautiful feet. If you're a preacher of the gospel, you got beautiful feet. But what does that have to do with being a soldier? How many know you get carried by your feet? You get carried. Come on. You get carried by your feet. So where do soldiers go where their feet go? And what is supposed to guide us as soldiers? The gospel. The gospel is supposed to guide the job you choose. You don't pick a job just because of money. You pick the job that the gospel has for you, that God through the gospel has for you. You don't pick friendships based on whether or not you just have similar hobbies. A lot of us here don't have similar hobbies, but you're my, I'm closer to you. You're, you're my best friends more than people in the world that I have those hobbies with. Why? Because your feet are going where my feet are going on the path of righteousness. And so what we do, and I wish I could do it with my eyes, like be cross-eyed. I don't know if you can do it to your neighbor, do a cross-eyed thing. Uh, right now, don't scare them. But my mom said if I do it too much, it'll make my eyes stay that way. But uh, we should go through life cross-eyed. Everything we do is from the gospel perspective. So let me ask you, are you walking where the gospel wants you to walk? Are you living life where the gospel wants you to be? What's the next thing that he talks about? The helmet of salvation. Everybody say the helmet. Thank you. Now, the helmet of salvation guards our mind. How many know you got to guard your mind in Christianity? The number one way the devil attacks us is through our what? Through our mind. Has anybody met the devil? Be honest. I want to know. Has anybody met the devil? Has anybody had a demonic experience before? Raise your hand. Some of us have. I've cast some out before. But how many know you get probably attacked every single day? So where, where, where's the devil at then? You haven't seen him. You haven't cast out a demon. What is he doing? He's attacking your mind. How can he attack your mind? Because he's spirit. Mind is spiritual. 
You're more than a brain. You're a mind. Brains die. Minds live with the soul. The devil doesn't have a body, but he has a mind. The Father doesn't have a body. He has a mind. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a body, but he has a mind. How do I know that minds are not based in the brain as they teach you in evolution from the goo through the zoo to you? I know that because they can put you in a brain scan and they can see that you're thinking, but they can't see what you're thinking about. Your thoughts are spiritual in nature. Are you tracking with me? They're spiritual in nature. So think of your spirit as a radio receiver. You can go to the devil's channel or you can go to God's channel. Does it matter whether or not you're a Christian? No. Everybody look up at me. I want you to get this. If I'm a non-Christian, I can hear what God is saying and I can hear what the devil's saying. What is God saying to me as a non-Christian? Repent, believe in me, I love you, have mercy, have mercy on you. What's the devil saying to me as a non-Christian? You're great, you're doing everything fine, just keep doing what you're doing. And then if he can destroy you, he'll start to bring in all of these attacks. Okay, now you're a Christian. Can you still hear the devil? Yep, because you could still tune into his radio frequency. What's he going to say to you as a Christian? This stuff doesn't work. It's not, it's not going to work for you. It's worked for others. You're going to be this way the rest of your life. And then what's God saying to you? God's wanting to lead you. God's wanting to bless you. What is the language of God? What is the language? How can you discern what is God's thought, the devil's thought, and what you ate last night or had for, had for dinner, a thought that you have? Your spirit, God's spirit, the devil's spirit. How do you know the difference? The Word of God. The Word of God is the language of God. God doesn't necessarily have to speak English or any of our, our languages. Jesus speaks through the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those of you who are really smart, you want to know what the word Word means in the Greek? What does it mean? Those of you who have been around, what's it called in the Greek? Logos. How do you pronounce the word logic without logos? You can't. It's the same root. All logic comes from our God. If you feel the rays of intelligentia, or if you feel the rays of intelligence, where is the sun from which those rays come? If we understand the world is governed by mathematics, if we understand the world is affected by natural laws, laws and order, if we understand that the, the world and the thinking man is governed by logic, where does logic, where does the natural laws, where does mathematics come from? Where are the rays? Where are they deriving from? They come from the sun. The Logos gives us logic. God gives us science. God gives us the laws. So what is irrational behavior? Everybody look up at me. Go deep with me. What is irrational behavior? Anything that's opposite of God's word. Irrational behavior is defined by the rationality of God. If you're not in the reasoning of God, you're reasoning irrationally. Do you see what's going on in our world today? Their mind has a different view of the world, and it's irrational. It's irrational. And so the Bible says the devil, he sees a Christian. You have something he wants. He wants your mind, and he wants to change your mind, and he wants your mind to view sin differently. He wants you to see sin as something that's pleasurable. He wants you to see bitterness as what they deserve or something you could have against them. Unforgiveness is what they deserve, etc. But you have to guard your mind. Somebody say, guard your mind. Thank you. What does the Bible says? Offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true form and proper worship. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the what? The pattern of this what? Of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to know what that Greek word transform means? Does anybody read Greek? Metamorpho. Metamorpho. That funny symbol right there at the beginning is an M. It's metamorpho. 
where we get the same understanding of metamorphosize from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Your mind is supposed to change from something that was conditioned to the world to something that's beautiful in the image of God. Look at with me to Colossians chapter 2. Somebody say Colossians. Come on, keep up as I'm preaching. Colossians chapter 2 says set your mind, or rather chapter 3 is going to say set your mind and your heart on the things above. That's why I was saying that they're very similar. The heart and mind are very similar because they're interchangeable in the context. Look at it. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your what? Come on, set your hearts on things above, which we know is guarded by the breastplate of righteousness, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Do you see heart and mind? are both said to be set above. How am I defining heart as your emotional life? Your mind as your mental life. Righteousness guards your heart. It guards your emotions. What you feel in this world is tempting to you. It's guarded by righteousness. And then what does the helmet of salvation guard? It guards your reasoning, your logic, the way you order your mental life. Salvation guards it. Is anybody here guarded by salvation? Amen. Can I go to 1 Peter? Can I tell you that there's a war against your soul? Do you know that your soul is being warred, uh, waged war against? Look at it. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to go to this scripture because I want everybody to see that there's a war against your soul. Oh, help me, Jesus. Let me go wage war. Wage war against your soul. I do this because I love you guys. I know you need the confirmation because some of you don't see the seriousness of it. Many of you do. Don't get me wrong. Many of you do. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11. I hadn't scrolled enough. Look at this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Which what? which wage war against your soul. So before there is a devil warring against your mind, what wars against your mind? Sinful desires. Once again, does the devil use Brian to tempt me? Because it's not my sinful desire, is it? I got to go to one more scripture. Look at James. I want to show you where temptation comes from. Can I help you understand spiritual warfare? Come on, let's go to James. Look at where the Bible says that temptation comes from. James chapter 1, I scrolled right by it. Here it is. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own what? Evil desire and enticed. So why doesn't the devil tempt me with Brian? Because it's not my own evil desire. Have you found yourself being tempted in the same ways by the devil? Come on, let's all be honest. Do you know why he's tempting you in the same ways? Because he knows that's your evil desire. We have a new self that is spiritual living in a physical body. I am no more my, stum- I'm no more my brain than I am my stomach. So I am not a sinful desire, though my body can have sinful desires. I am not my flesh, but my flesh wars against my spirit. They are at odds with each other. I am a born-again spirit in a sinful flesh. What's the purpose of the resurrection? To give me a born-again flesh to match my born-again spirit. Amen? Raised from the dead. I'll die once, but I'll live twice. Once spiritually, then second alive from the grave. Are you listening? 
When you and I are tempted in the midst of the battle, we should rebuke the devil, but what should we also do? Guard our mind against the sinful desire that we chose. Write down three sinful desires you have right now that you know you have to count as dead at the cross. Come on, because I'm going to show you one more scripture. I'm going a little bit OT right now because i got to get back to this. But, but write three things down because I'm going to show you where they go right now. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its what? passions and desires. I know you're writing down stuff, but write down this scripture. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the what? The flesh with its passions and desires. Where does our temptation come from? Our evil desires. What is supposed to be on the cross of Jesus? Our passions and desires. What are those three things right now? You don't have to say them out loud, but be honest. The devil, I want everybody to look up at me as you, as you can finish it up now, please. The devil will never be able to tempt you in a place that you haven't tempted yourself in. He only reinforces what you have, your first, what you have first tempted yourself in. Adam and Eve, go back to the garden. I got I to get there quickly, but you guys got, I got places to go, but you got to get this before I go there. Listen, listen. In the garden and in Jesus' temptation, it's the same idea, same idea. They're tempted with three things. Go to 1 John chapter 2. You all ain't getting this. I can just see looks on people's faces. I know it may be a hot look on your face, but I'm praying I'm discerning more than that. Go to Ephesians, uh, um, 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15, don't love anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Here it is. For everything in the world is these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Are you all getting this? Jesus came as the second Adam to fix what the first Adam broke. Jesus was tempted three times, and Adam and Eve, technically Eve, tempted in three different ways, three different responses from the devil to her. It attacked the three different ways Jesus was attacked. I just don't have time to get into it all. But just start with the very first thing. The woman sees the fruit and that it's good to eat, and then the devil says, has God said? She lusted in her flesh after the fruit God said not to have. And then the very next thing the devil says is, did God say you could not eat it? And then she makes a decision to turn her back on God and to eat that fruit. She dealt with the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is what brought her to the tree. The lust of the eyes is what made her desire it. And it was the pride of life that had her make eat it. Now go to Jesus. He's hungry. His flesh is hungry. What does the devil tempt him with? Flesh. Turn the, the stone into bread. He then responds with the word, you, which is the sword, which we'll learn in just a moment. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. Then he takes him, right, to the highest place. He takes him to the highest place, and then he shows them all, uh, excuse me, he takes him to the highest place, and he says, jump off of here, and I will give you all, uh, I'm confusing the two, but track with me. Take takes him to the high place. He says, jump off of here. The uh, angels will not let you strike your foot up against a stone. And then what does he say? Test not the Lord thy God. Jesus had to believe that he was 
God in the flesh, even without having miraculous deliverance. That was a way for him to test it, to see if God was really with him, was to jump off that cliff. It was a lust of the eyes to see and not live by faith. And then the last thing, the pride of life, is he said to Jesus, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. That was the pride of life, to have salvation another way. By Jesus bowing down to the devil, he would have had this world, but he would have lost all the kingdoms of the age. Are you tracking with me? I know I got a little confusing there, but are you with me? Three temptations of Adam and Eve, three temptations of Jesus. Now, what's my point with this? You will never be tempted with something by the devil that you yourself are not already giving into or showing desire towards. This is why, now watch, this is why this flesh must be crucified. You must count your flesh as crucified. So when I count my flesh as crucified, can the devil draw me into sin? No. So I guard my mind. Those five things. Get it? Right there. Excuse me. Those four things. I guard my loins with truth. My heart with righteousness. My feet with the gospel and the helmet of salvation. Now I got two distinct kind of weapons. But one is made defensively and one is made offensively. Why am I calling the shield a weapon? Because the weapon can be used to push people back as well. The uh, the shield can be used to push people back. So as I'm standing my ground, what is happening? I am taking arrows, and the arrows are the darts of the enemy. So what is the enemy attacking? He is attacking my faith. So what is the number one battle that all of us will have, regardless of who we are and what desires we have? It will be the battle for our faith. The devil's not so concerned about getting you to stay home on Sunday. He's, con- he, he's really wanting your faith. That's what he considers the most valuable treasure. So where will you feel the front line battle the most? Faith. And where does the Bible say faith comes from? Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Look at Romans ten seventeen. So what must you do to increase your strength of your shield? Hear the Word of God. Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel weak in faith right now? Some of you may. You don't have to raise your hand, but listen to me. Do you feel weak? Do you feel like you've lost faith? Well, guess what? You can get back faith. You get back faith by hearing the Word of God. So do you feel like you're in this place right now, and you're like, Pastor, I don't know how much more I can take. Well, what do you need to do? You need to hear the Word of God, speak the Word of God, and faith will begin to increase. What is the number one thing sin will keep you from? The Word. What's the number one thing the Word will keep you from? Sin. Faith, the Bible says, without faith is sin. And without faith is impossible to please God, and whatever is not of faith is sin. So they are in direct opposites of each other. What you may think, and everybody get this, what you may think is a small seed of doubt, a pebble in your shoe, can grow to be the very thing that defeats you. Most people that I know who backslide do not backslide to become an atheist, put 666 as a tattoo across their head, listen to Marilyn Manson or whatever's crazy out there today. What most people fall for is a lack of faith, and from that lack of faith, whether it's just trusting God with their tithes and offerings, trusting God to come to church, trusting God to do discipleship, something will come in and that very thing will be the thing that draws them out. I was talking to a couple earlier today. Their family members aren't coming. You know how it started? They were both single. 
They were ready to mingle, but it wasn't time, but they did it anyways. They got it on. They got, the girl got pregnant. Then they got married. Now, guess what? Now they feel embarrassed, don't want to come to church. And every time they come, they feel condemned. And the devil has gotten their faith, not by getting them to worship the devil, but by getting them to question whether or not they can actually live for Christ. But if you remember from the context, it was never based on you. You weren't supposed to be strong in yourself because if you see yourself fail, you'll have a reason to give up. But the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So what is, was my encouragement to that family member? Tell them they are loved. Have them come back. Have them put on that full armor. The grace of God is waiting there for them. And then what's the last thing? Somebody say the sword of the Spirit. The last thing that we see is the sword of the Spirit. It's the weapon that we use against the attacks of the enemy. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I know there's so many scriptures here, but I've tried to add in as many as I can. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every demon. Is that what it says? We take captive every demon. What does it say? We take captive what? Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every what? Every thought. So the thoughts are the most powerful thing you have as a weapon against the enemy, or it's the biggest stronghold he has against your life. Do you know that you're one thought away from depression? You're one thought away from an affair? You're one thought away from making a bad decision? Do you know that people who are in jail today wish they could go back and take back the thought that led to the action? Thoughts produce actions, right? You guys believe that, right? You're one thought away from suicide. You're one thought away from abandoning your children. You're one thought away from having an affair. You're one thought away from an anxiety attack. You are one thought away. But guess what? You're one thought away from a breakthrough. You're one thought away from realizing the love of God. You're one thought away from receiving the promises that He has for you. You're one thought away from pimp slapping the devil. You're one thought away from falling back in love with your wife again. You're one thought away from never smoking again, from never drinking again. You are one thought away. It's a thought. It is all about our thoughts. And the spiritual battle of our thoughts is won by the Word of God. What will conquer your most scariest thoughts is the Word of God. What will conquer your most depressing thoughts? It's the Word of God. Sometimes you, we, we say to ourselves that we don't know the difference between our own thoughts and, and the thoughts of God. The Word of God discerns them. The Bible says, dividing between soul and spirit. How many have heard that scripture before? That He will actually give us the dividing between soul and spirit. Somebody shout out the scripture if you got it. I know it's Hebrews, but what's the other part? Thank you. Hebrews 4.12. Look at what it does. The Spirit of God will use the Word of God to discern our thoughts. Because so many times our own thoughts deceive us. Look at what it says. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Watch this. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and morals. Watch. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The sword of the spirit judges your attitude. It judges that thought. Maybe I should leave my wife. We've been good, you know, we, we, we were good for a while, but things took a turn. Now this girl that I met on my job, she makes me much more happy. The Word of God will judge that thought. 
the Word of God will judge that thought that says, you know what? This person's meant for me. Even though they don't serve God right now, I'm going to make them a Christian. I'm going to start living together with them, even though the Bible says don't do that. The Word of God judges that thought. How about this thought? I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Life is not working out for me. I'm existentially in turmoil. I'm being driven to madness, or however they feel. What, guess what? The Word of God comes in those moments and differentiates their attitude from God's attitude. And then he says to him, you are the apple of my eye. Nothing can separate you from my love. The idea of the word of God and the sword of the spirit cannot be undermined. Here are five things. Look at your neighbor and say, here's the closing. I try to get here as fast as I can. Five things. Adam, would you come please? Five things to remember in spiritual battle. Number one, every battle is spiritual. It doesn't matter who God or the devil is using. Everything always comes down to the spirit. Look. The Bible says, given it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall angels give to you? No, shall men pour into your bosom. When God uses people to bless you, does that mean it was physical or is it still spiritual? It's spiritual. That's why people get confused all the time. Look at my hands. I made this. Look at my life. I built this. And God says, if you didn't have a spirit, you'd be sniffing your behind like a chimpanzee in a zoo right now. Everything is spiritual. Not only is everything in the broad sense spiritual, every battle is spiritual. Right now, ISIS killing Christians, Boko Haram in Nigeria killing Christians, it's spiritual. So we pray against the spiritual forces first, as the Bible teaches us. The second thing that we need to remember is that every battle is the Lord's. Jesus has gone before us and won every single battle. When he said on the cross, it's finished, that includes every one of your battles. Do you get that? Every one of your battles are already finished. Think about this. From eternity past, God created the world. Now we're living it out. There is no place you are at right now where God's victory hasn't already been. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, the king's about ready to go to battle, but it's a huge army. He's scared. The prophet says the battle belongs to the Lord. Every battle we face already belongs to the Lord. When, when, when David prayed in Psalms 23, did he say, Lord, I ask you, please, please, I beg you, please to be my shepherd. Is that what he said? He declared, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down. He, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down next to the green pastures. He leads me besides the still and quiet waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now watch this verse right here. I said all of that to say this verse. Thou preparest a table. A table. Before me in the presence of my enemies. Have you ever been to medieval nights or medieval, what's that place called? Medieval, medieval times. Thank you. You ever been there? Do you fight any of those battles? No, what do you do? You eat. You eat. You enjoy watching the battle. And it's been won in Jesus' name. Bible says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The battle is the Lord's. The next thing is temporary defeat is not final. How many of you since being a Christian have lost a battle? Come on, raise your hands. Am I alone here? Come on. How many of you have lost a battle? I've lost a battle of lust. I've lost a battle of my temper. 
I've lost a battle of my greed. I, I've, I've spent too much money. I should have given more. You know it's God telling you to give something that you don't want to give. The devil ain't going to tell you to give that. How many of you ever been to church and God told you to give something and like $1,000 or this or that, give some extra in the offering, and you hear that number in your heart and you go, Satanas, I rebuke you in the nombre Jesus. I am not giving $1,000 today. There's no reason to do that. They're not, you know. How many know the, the devil didn't just tell you that? See, I've, I've, I've fallen prey to temptation before of greed. My one friend thought he was going crazy, but it was God. You know what my one friend told me? He's a pastor. During the, there was a missionary in, in, in the, uh, the church. God told my friend as the pastor, hand two blank checks, one to the left, one to the right, out of your checkbook and tell them to give whatever God just put in their heart. Would you do that? That's what he told you. Now, now be careful about this. Don't want to bounce check. But that's what the pastor said. God told him, this missionary's here. It's not your turn to give out of your bank account. You're going to see how much you trust me. Give a check to the one on the left and one to the right and tell them, you give whatever you just felt in your heart you were supposed to give. See, that's what living life in faith is like. See, but we fail sometimes at that, don't we? We try to hold on to this world. But it's not our bank account, is it? It's God's. It's not our house, is it? It's God's. It's not our plan. It's God. And so if you face a, a setback... Guess what? It's a setup. You learn to trust God. You learn to go forward next time without fear. You learn to stand your ground where you once fell. Every defeat should be a lesson for victory. You stand your ground. Can I just get all the men to look up at me, please? Please, all the men. I know I'm going a little long, but please look up at me. Men, you and I oftentimes feel like quitting when things get tough. Women can deal with this too, but I want to talk directly to men. Men, we feel like when it's too hard, we're going to quit the team. I've watched men walk off a basketball court. You would have thought they were little babies the way they whined. Because why? Men, we got a big problem with our pride. And that is, if we can't get it our way, we don't want it. We quit. We quit our jobs. We walk out on our families. We leave church. I, listen, I've never had more people leave church offended than men. I've had women stay through all types of drama and things we've had to work through. But men get offended one time. They take the whole family with them. Now listen to me, men. The best advice I can give you during your most stressed times is for you to stand your ground. Don't think you got to fix everything in that moment. Let go and let God. I was this close to quitting this church when it was only three years old. I had made up in my mind it wasn't growing fast enough. There needed to be more things to be done. I could go start again somewhere else. It got so bad in my mind that I needed to leave that God tried to speak to me to my, through my wife, through another pastor, my mentor. I wasn't listening. He literally had to speak through a young college-age girl in the prophetic time in our service as we make time for that every week. She literally had a word, and this is what's what her word. Joe, don't go. The Lord says, Joe, don't go. And you know what? Weeks, weeks after that, I became a professor. 
The Bible college started here. We started having extra money. The people that were giving me some of the most hardest trouble joined the Bible college now became your pastors that are still with us today. What was going on? See, the devil, he can't tell the future because he doesn't have the power of all knowing. But what the devil do is can read the signs of the time. And I can tell you as a country boy from Indiana, in July, the corn should be knee high. So if you see corn knee high in July, you know there's a harvest coming in October. And the devil saw that there was a harvest coming in my life and he said devil he said demons full frontal attack on this one get them to quit now and most of you if I were to ask you to stand to your feet if you were here in 2008 stand up there would only be a few of you that means the devil saw all y'all coming and the thousand more ahead and he didn't want you here and what are you going through right now Still talking to the man. What are you going through right now? You're facing a tough time in your marriage, facing a tough time in your job. Your hair's turning gray, hair's falling out, belly's bulging out, midlife crisis, whatever they call it, I don't care. Listen to me. You get strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God and stand your ground. And when you have done everything, stand. Sometimes you just have to stand. I was talking to my dad who had a failed business. His last 15 years of business were better than all of his lives of business. But listen, I asked my dad, I said, how did you go through it? How did you go through losing over a quarter million dollars on a failed gas station? How did you do it? And he said, Joe, I had a sign in my office that said, one day at a time with Jesus. And I would look at it and remind myself of that. And he said, sometimes I would get so scared because I didn't know how to pay the bills. All these vendors coming after me. I was losing all this money. I had to say, Jesus, it's not just one day. It's one second at a time. But he said, I knew that he never would leave me nor forsake me. And so one second at a time led to a minute at a time, an hour, a day, a week, a month. And then he said, I found my place. I found myself at a place called there. Because you always think, I'm going to get there. One day over there, I'll have more money. One day over there, I'll have a house. But we don't understand that there comes from doing all the right things here. There is not a place you leapfrog to. There is a place you get moment by moment by moment. Because he leads us. Can I get an amen? And then lastly, come for next week because prayer is our lifeline. Now we're going to talk all about prayer next week. We cannot spiritually win a battle without prayer. And I'm not talking about like just like a prayer, like how we opened up the service or a prayer that you would pray over your dinner table. I'm talking about a lifestyle of communion with God lifestyle of communion with God where it's always God what's your heart God I receive now God this is my heart wake up in the morning don't ask yourself how to feel tell yourself how to feel as I've gotten older I believe that more than I ever have before we played volleyball yesterday three games I woke up this morning and did not every part of me did not want to come to church every part of me didn't want to preach two services I'm wearing my real shoes instead of my chonklas because I can hardly stand on my feet they hurt so bad I had to take Advil Brian I know it's easy for you being in your 20s but thank God I didn't let myself tell me how to feel. I told myself how to feel. It's a new day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. We believe that our God speaks to us and we can speak to him. So did I have a talk with him on the way here? Absolutely. I'm like, God, you know I need you. 
strengthen me. See, that's my prayer life. It's not, sometimes I don't even know where my prayers begin and end. Anybody else got a prayer life like that? My prayers don't always start off with Heavenly Father and don't always end with Amen. Sometimes I just jump right in the middle of conversation with Jesus. Some of you start yours off, oh Dios mío. Oh my God, I need you. And then you just start talking in your heart. How many of you know the prayer life is the life to live? If Jesus, think about it like this. If Jesus, God in the flesh, prayed, how much more should we pray? If he said, I can't do nothing unless I see the Father do it, how much more should we we realize we can't do anything unless we hear our Father do it? Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today if you're ready to win a war? Come on, not just a battle, but a war. How many today have the victory over that war in Jesus' name? All I have to do is show up and receive all the bounty God has for me. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? The battles have been won. The war has been won. I am coming to claim my victory. This is how we win. This is how we fight. We fight in faith. I hope that you've gotten something out of today. I know I was a little long-winded, had some of my scriptures backwards. But can I tell you right now, Curtis... That what's going to make the difference 20 years from now? You being you, like this soldier, or being a defeated version of you, is whether or not you choose to be in Christ today, and strong in His power. According to the Word, it won't come from Curtis. It will come from God. I want to speak to every one of you. I wish I could name every one of your names. Come on, Emiliano. The only difference between what we see physically and spiritually here is that this is lame compared to the way you look spiritually. If we could see ourselves, Emiliano, the way God sees us, they would make movies about us instead of the 300. I'm telling you. Wait till the veil of the flesh is taken off. Think of it just like this. When they saw angels, they would bow down and worship. Christians command angels in Jesus' name. What do you think we are in the Spirit? We are sons and daughters of our God. We look like our Jesus. But the only thing that's going to keep us is deciding to be strong in the Lord. I'm looking at right now this young dear sister. And I wish you guys could have came yesterday because we had a family party for the elders and deacons. And I know there were some things that came up. But I just want to tell you, Josie, that you are this in the Lord right now. Can I share just why I mean that to the church? Can I share that in a way that's appropriate? Josie is battling lupus right now and taking cancer treatment for it, right? This woman, this young lady is facing what I have never faced as a grown man. My scariest fear would be to go to the doctor and be told, I'll die unless I do X, Y, and Z. This young girl, how old are you, 11 or 12? 12 years old, facing the most scary news. I mean, imagine being a parent facing that. But you know what the first, because I asked, I said, how was she taking? That's, I wanted to know. So we had to get word from the parents. And what I heard is that Josie says she's taking it with faith because she believes God is her healer. You are this. You are this. Every arrow that comes against you when you go for treatment, every thought that comes in your mind, your faith is extinguishing every one of those fiery darts. You are inspiring us. I think about all the different lives that have been impacted in this church. And like I said, I wish I could name every one of you, but do I, do I just have permission for a few more moments? Jackie, let me just talk about Jackie. Jackie, raise your hand real quick. 
Jackie, this may sound funny, but it wasn't, but Jackie was carjacked. They got in her car at a laundromat, put a gun to her head when she had a baby in the car, forced her to go to multiple ATMs to withdraw money, and then threatened that as they got out the car, if she was going to turn back, they were going to kill her, that they know where she lives because they took her ID. She showed up to church. She came to church. We got some people that same day, she came to church. We've got people that don't even want to come to the Lord's house because they got a flat tire, a hangnail, got to do laundry. Her and her husband came to church. She talked about how it was God who made her. This was Jackie. See, those dudes in that car, they thought they were this. You know what they were? They were rats and cockroaches. This is who she was in that car. Those are the same dudes that cry when they get arrested. These are the same dudes that whine when they shot on the ground, bawling like babies. And she stood like a soldier for the Lord, willing to die. Even if her and her baby die, she's going to heaven. I'm so proud of you, Jackie. Real soldiers in this church. Real soldiers. I just want to maybe just encourage one more. Looking around this room at all the testimonies of what y'all have been through. Come on up here, Shamal. I'm just going to talk about Shamal. Let's give it up for Shamal as he comes. <laughs> Shamal has no idea how much I talk about him. Who was just at my house and I was talking about Juan Riasco? That's right. And he came up all the time. Shamal, I'm so proud of you. I want you to look at this. This is how I see you, mighty man of God. If you met Shamal at the campus of a college in the neighborhood of the richest people of Chicago, you would think he fits right in. He is so well-spoken. He is so respectful. The world is before him now to fulfill the plan that God has for him. But he came from one of the roughest neighborhoods of Chicago. How old were you when you first started coming? Like six. Six years old with our King's Kids program on Wednesday from the west side, coming in a van. His sister Destiny, him and his sister Destiny really never even knew your father. And we're not going to talk about what it was like growing up in the home. But let's put it this way. It was difficult. Destiny dropped out of junior high. What was, what was it like for you in those years of junior high, in high school, those early years? How did you feel learning in school? Was it hard? Was it difficult because you didn't have any help at home? Yeah, it was always hard, difficult. I was always, like, in a depressed state, like, wanting to do sinful things, go outside, do whatever I wanted to do. Because he didn't have anything really at home to look forward to. No mom or, hey, mom was there, but let's just put this, it wasn't really helping much, and dad was nowhere to be around. Do you know that right now he's in an adult life group, the squad, leading people to Jesus, preaching the gospel, running things? And now he can decide whatever he wants to do in life. But every attack that came against him, and I want everybody to get this, because I know we got a lot of young adults here. Everybody get this, especially if you're a young adult and, and your parents bring you to church. See, y'all get to come to church with your parents, and that's a blessing, but some of you wish you didn't have to come. He makes the choice to come. And his parents don't even come. He can stay home right now and do whatever you see the Migos do, whatever you see these rappers do. He could live it out right now. Nobody would care. I mean, his mom might be disappointed, but nobody actually would stop him. 
But he purposely says, I'm going to mount up, be a soldier, and fight for the Lord. Can I have him close us out in prayer? And as we close out, I want everybody to hear me. If you're not born again, come up and get prayer to know Jesus. If you're going through a battle that you feel is too difficult for you, let us encourage you because our God is able. And if you just need any encouragement, maybe your marriage is struggling, or you just want to come up and get prayer, please come. Do not leave. We'll worship and pray with you as long as it takes. Shamal, would you dismiss us, please? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, God, just pray that through our day-to-day lives, God, we will wear the armor, Jesus, to protect us, God, from the attacks of the devil, Jesus, that we will raise our shield when the devil is shooting the arrows at us, God, we'll be backed into a corner where you don't know what to do with our lives, God. Just let us know you are there for us, Jesus. You are protecting us, Jesus. You are always there, God. You are like a father to the fatherless, God. You are dead when we are in our lowest places, God. You are dead when we are in our highest places, God. God, just pray that as we continue the sermon of Ephesians, God, that we will learn more and more about you, Jesus, that we will want to expand on our knowledge about you, Lord, that we will have armor every single day at work, God, at church, Jesus. Jesus, I just pray that you will be with us through our walk, Jesus, that you will hold our hand as we walk with you, Jesus. Even through the darkest times, even through the worthless days, God. Let us not get depressed, God. Let us not run away from you, God. Let us not let our pride not get in the way, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you will protect us, God. You will watch over us, God. And we wear our arm every day. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Tell your neighbor you are victorious. You're victorious, man. God bless you. Come up for prayer as you're dismissed. Thank you. We'll see you at Life Groups. Have a wonderful day. Thank you again for coming. God bless you. Please come for prayer if God has touched your heart today. Band, lead us. Thank you. Amen.